Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Thank you again for joining me here at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg, and this is episode 25. If this is your first time stopping by the Back of the Range, thanks so much for tuning into this episode. If you enjoy this one, make sure you check out our previous episodes and especially the ones coming up later this summer. You're probably listening through Apple Podcasts right now, but we're available at Spotify, Overcast, and just about anywhere else podcasts can be found. It's a big week for the game of golf with the U.S. Open getting ready to start at Shinnecock Hills, but it's also a pretty big week for this podcast. We aren't going to waste too much time, so let me get the podcast business out of the way early. We are on Instagram. You can find us at the Back of the Range podcast. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. The central hub of the podcast is thebackoftherange.com. If that voice at the beginning of the episode sounds familiar, well, it should. That's Mitch Phillips. He does all of our voiceover work. He does promos for Showtime and Fox. Why he hangs around with us, we'll never know, but we're sure glad that he does. You can learn more about Mitch at mpvoice.com. Speaking of Fox, they're about to embark on their fourth broadcast of the U.S. Open since obtaining the TV rights from the USGA. The guy doing the play-by-play coverage from beginning to end, well, that's Joe Buck. If you've watched a major sporting event in the United States over the last 20 years, there's an excellent chance that Joe Buck described the action for you. He's done play-by-play of the World Series for the last 20 years, several Super Bowls, and picked up a handful of sports Emmy Awards along the way. He's also a best-selling author. His autobiography, Lucky Bastard, is an excellent read. It's funny, insightful, and after reading the book and speaking with Joe a few days ago, I'm left with the following realization. He doesn't take himself too seriously, so you probably shouldn't either. So, Joe, it's U.S. Open week. You're the voice of the U.S. Open. I was looking for a big-name guest this week, but, you know, sometimes you just have to play the ball as it lies. So can you handle sharing some of your thoughts with us here at the back of the range? I think it's only fitting. I'm, I'm sorry that you couldn't find anybody that was more qualified to talk about golf, but since I'm the one that you found, uh, I'm going to do my best to, uh, to be U.S. Open worthy on the back of the range uh, golf podcast. So let's give it a whirl. All right. Well, you know, I mean, you, you try hard and everything else, and uh, obviously I can just tell by the, by the tone of your voice that this is going to be just super serious, and you take yourself super serious. So, Oh, my God. Yeah, uh, yeah I know. So we're, we're going to try and muddle our way through this. So um, we, we've kind of kicked off all these episodes with a lot of people that uh, play golf and either coach golf, but kind of a common theme is, how did you get into the game of golf? I know you're not a player, but can you give us a little bit of background of when you first got interested in the game? Yeah, I think it was one of the few things that I had that was recreation that I could uh, spend time with my dad uh, and and spend time with him away from work. My dad was not a great golfer. Uh, he had a terrible temper. And Joe, not to cut you off, but there may be some people in the audience that do not know who your father is for some strange reason, but... But your father, Jack Buck, did play-by-play forever for the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team. He's in the National Baseball Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the National Radio Hall of Fame. So, yeah. So, anyway, go ahead. He uh, got frustrated beyond belief. But I could see, even as a young boy, what the game of golf meant to him. It was kind of his departure from either the public life in St. Louis or – 
uh, you know, his, his duties of calling baseball or football or whatever he might've been calling at the time, he, he just couldn't wait to get out on the golf course. And then I kind of took it to the next level. I, I wasn't a kid that grew up, uh, at a country club. Um, we, we belonged to one for a few years early in my life, but I, I kind of picked up golf when I started broadcasting professionally in Louisville, uh, at triple a. Sure. And then as I got to the Cardinals, uh, in the early nineties, when you're in Cincinnati for three days or stuck in Houston for three days, stuck in Pittsburgh for three days, and you're only really working at night that what you find yourself doing during the day is, is find a good group of, of staff and players and broadcasters and whomever that likes to play golf to go out and play. And, and that's really how, when, and why I, I fell in love with the game. Well, and also just the incredible access you must have with just whether it's through the the teams that you were covering or through the the networks you were working for, just getting out to these great courses. Um, can yeah, you- it's embarrassing. Yeah, well, I mean, it was embarrassing. I mean, when you when I when I think back on like the McGuire home run chase, and, sure. and that was 1998, and what a bag of Mark McGuire autograph golf balls, what that would get you access to in the golf <laughs> world, or, or baseballs rather, what that would get you access to in the golf world. I mean, it, it was, we sent up a, a tour that uh, Tim Fincham and Jay Monahan couldn't come up with. And, uh, you know, we were playing Medina and then we go to San Francisco and play morning and late day at, uh, at Olympic. And, you know, you just, it, we were spoiled. And, and I, you know, I'm now I struggle to get back out to those places, but back then, uh, yeah. McGuire autographed baseballs, that, that was the, that was the key to the first tee. And, and you spent your entire childhood and professional life around professional athletes and teams and having this access. And you've said, uh, you know, whether it's through your book, you know, Lucky Bastard, which I'll definitely put a link to in the show notes of the podcast, but you've said repeatedly that you're just not in awe of these players because it's just been your job for so long. Um, have you ever found yourself, though, on the golf course with whether it's the access or the people you're playing with, just sitting back and saying to yourself, Holy shit! Look where I am right now. How the hell did this? Oh, happen? we can say shit on this. Uh, you can say yes, but but if you just you can say shit, it's okay. fine. Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, I I've had the good fortune, and and you can't ask me a question like that and then have people roll roll their eyes when I name drop. But to to play in events with guys, yeah, but like Joe, Fred, everyone I'm, rolls their eyes at you, right? I mean, it's no, no I know. Yeah, yeah, that's my life. Uh, but when you play in events with, with, uh, Fred couples or, you know, I've had Pat Perez, uh, I've, I've played with Mickelson. I've played with guys like that. Um, yeah, it's intimidating. And then, and then you go along for a few holes and you realize everybody's just kind of the guy and, you know, you can either get along with somebody or you can't, they're either a good guy or they're not. And right. it doesn't matter if they're a famous golfer or Albert Pujols or, Tom Brady or whoever it might be, you know, at some point you just judge them as, are they a good guy or not? And, uh, and, and that's what I think, you know, obviously you find out about somebody really easily on the golf course. Uh, but, but to answer your question, yes, I've been intimidated and that was in 2015, our first year doing the open and, uh, Tiger Woods, uh, allowed me to do an interview with him and, and his agent whisked him over after, a. a media session uh in front of in front of everybody over to me and i found myself interviewing him in front of this huge throng of people it was the most awkward awful interview of oh, all time of and I, I felt like I'm, I'm looking at tiger woods 
I don't know him. I've never really met him. And I was, yeah, I was a bit intimidated. And uh, I, I'd like to get another crack at him because I, I think the uh, the initial shock has worn off by now. There you go. Yeah. Um, well, you're 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 rolling along, handling World Series games, handling the Super Bowl, um, and then Fox and the USGA come to their their big agreement in 2013. Uh, you know, just small change, 12 year deal, 1.1 billion, and all of a sudden it starts getting rolled out that you're going to be. Uh, doing the U.S. doing the U.S. Open and all the other USG events, um, what was your job description basically at that time before you took on this this monster of of jumping into golf? Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty much Saturday game of the week, All Star game, baseball playoffs, uh, and then the NFL, which is you know Sundays, and then the the NFC playoff package, and then every three years the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, various other events that Fox would send me to, uh, some of which are public, some of which were private, Sure. but, but that was all, uh, that was really all I did. And, and I was in the midst of a contract when, when they got the deal and it really isn't even in my contract. It's just kind of like, I'm, I'm just doing it. And I, I can tell you that of all the events that I've done, um, Nothing has been more intimidating to try and understand and try and take over. And nothing has been as time-consuming work-wise, just trying to get ready for, at least with the men, one major event a year. And acting like you've been a part of the tour all year, that's a a tall order. And, uh, you know, I I think we're getting better. Uh, I think I'm getting better. I think I, I'm finally to the point where I look forward to it. And, and I'm, I, I think this year I'm, I'm willing to have a little more fun with it. Um, and, and when you get to that point, then I think you can really, uh, really kind of let loose a little bit. And, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I, I think you know, when, when you feel like you've done it enough to where you don't feel the need to prove how much you know every time you open your mouth, you can just kind of pick your spots. And if you can pick your spots, then you can really build the drama and let guys walk into shots and let them walk into shots in silence. And and that, to me, in golf, there's just nothing better. Uh, as somebody who tries to play the game, as somebody who loves it, um, just that moment when you're walking into a shot thinking, you know, I, I've got to, you know, in my small world, I've, I've got to make a good shot here. That's where the tension comes. And, and that, that's got to come across on your TV more now, at least with regard to Fox, than, than, than it has in the past. Because I think we've been, we've been scrambling too much to try to prove that we're good enough to do it. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, you know, that's actually something. It's funny. I, I had Steve Burkowski from the Golf Channel on a few episodes ago. And, you know, he was just saying how he had that constant state of research and note taking and fact finding and, and working on relationships all year long at, you know, web.com tour spots and, and through college golf. But, you know, you're not doing this all year long. I mean, you don't have like a Kings Mill championship to, to get you ready for the ladies open. You don't have FedEx St. Jude to get you ready for the guys. So you're basically just, you just have this one big platform once a year. And it's, you know, not to go into a baseball term, but either you hit it out of the park or you, you don't. Right. And I think it, it gets back to what Johnny Miller said when Fox got the rights. He said, you know, you don't just fall out of a tree and do the U.S. Open. Well, if the rights are ever going to change and a new network's going to ever get involved, that's kind of how it has to be. Yeah. And, and at, at one point, 
ABC did it forever. Yep. And then NBC got it. And then NBC did it for 20 years. And then Fox entered into a 12-year agreement. And, and at some point, you have to do it to, to understand what it takes to, to pull off a good-looking, pleasant-sounding golf event on television. But, you know, the first couple of years, ignorance is bliss. You don't know what you don't know. And, you know, now that I've done it enough, because it's not just the men's, it's the women's, it's the amateur, it's the, it's the senior. And now the events start to pile up and you get a little bit of a rhythm. Then you can kind of settle in. But, but until then, you know, I had Greg Norman to my left the first year and Faxon was in the 17th tower and Flesh was in the 16th tower. And none of us had ever done anything together. And now we're doing the U.S. Open. And, and if, if for nothing else, the timing of everything is hard to figure out so let alone the information and and now we've streamlined it uh i sit next to paul azinger shane bacon sits next to brad faxon we've got guys on the course and that's it and you you cover you cover the golf that you're about to see so the research is all great but we're really doing the shot right now and reacting to what we're seeing and and that's i think the the only way to go about doing one event a year sure and you know, when you're, when you're starting this and you get the call that you're going to be doing all these USG events, um, you know, you're entering the ranks of, you know, Jim Nance and Tarico and Hicks. And did you ever reach out to any of the, the golf commentators that are on the scene, maybe on other networks, just to kind of pick your brain? I mean, do you have that trust level with some of them just to say, Hey, I'm, uh, I know I'm the competition. I'm a different network, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm covering the game that we all love. Uh, did you get any good insight or feedback from people? I did. I, I mean, and, and this is not an indictment on the other guys because I really, I really don't know Dan Hicks. He and I trade emails and, and, you know, he was really complimentary and, and, and I am of course of him uh, because he's easy to compliment and the same for, for Jim Nance, but the guy that took the initiative was Tarico. And, and I know Mike, I've, I, whenever we do a Thanksgiving game in Detroit, he brings his son down from Ann Arbor. And he comes to the booth and we catch up and he's friends with my wife. And, and when Fox got the rights before I was even announced, and to be honest with you, before I even thought that I was going to be doing it, uh, he reached out to me and said, hey, I'm, ha I'm here for anything you need. I'm happy to share, give you my notes from last year. Um, I'll give you as much or as little as you want. And I thought, you know, in this world of, of kind of, yeah, that tells you all you need to know about a guy who in, in a business that can get really crappy and really nasty and shitty. And, uh, you know, everybody's jealous of one another and everybody's ripping the other guy down. And, you know, for Mike to do that meant the world to me. And, and believe me, I've, I've told him many times, uh, that, that it, it, it meant a lot because the, the event itself, when when you when when you do a World Series, I walk into Yankee Stadium, say, and I've got the best seat in the house, and it's all sitting there in front of me, and nobody's going to tell me what to say. I'll watch the pictures. The producer, the director, and I will kind of determine where it goes, either by their pictures or by my words. But I I know what I want to do. Football the same way. I'm sitting at the 50. I've got the best view. When I do golf, I'm reliant on everybody around me. And, and that's a really unnerving feeling for me. If, if I'm going to get ripped, I want to get ripped for something that I stupidly said or information that I got wrong or, you know, just making a, a, a good 
tried and true mistake. Sure. But if I'm getting bad information, like, hey, we're going to, if I say we're going to 14, here's speed for birdie. And then I hear in my ear, no, no, this is 13. Sorry. Well, well it came out of my mouth. Right, it doesn't matter you. who said it. It's me. Yeah. And I'm not even facing the golf course. I'm facing away from the golf course, looking at cameras and TV monitors, and I'm not watching anything really live with my own eyes. Um, I, we were popping all over the golf course. And, and if you haven't done that before in the 21st century with social media and everything else, it, it, it's a little bit unnerving. And so it's taken me a while to try to get the timing down where the information needs to be given and when to shut the hell up because I don't want to talk over shots. I, I want you to hear the club meeting the ball and watch it through the air. There, there should be time on the other end. So it's, there's a lot to learn. And, and I think I personally, and we collectively have, have really made big strides in the last year. Sure. And do you think, and I, this is something that I kind of thought about, uh, you know, it would have been a lot easier if in 2015 the U S open was at a golf course that everyone knew, you know, like a Marion or a pebble beach. And you can kind of lean on the history of previous opens there and, and previous storylines, you know, like, like tiger winning by uh, 15 at pebble or uh, you know, even like going back to Pavin's win in 95 at Shinnecock where you could just lean on that stuff, but you're thrown into chambers Bay. I mean, beautiful course, but the greens were, you know, everyone had their opinion on the greens. Um, and then you go to Oakmont, you're thinking, okay, this is going to be a familiar place. And then the whole rules thing happens with Dustin Johnson. So you get two years in a row, and then Aaron Hills, which was, I guess, kind of like a, we don't know the course, and Kepka goes goes nuts because the wind wasn't up. But you had three years that were just outside the norm, but it threw curveballs at you. See, that's a baseball term. But you threw curveball, yeah. it threw curveballs at you. Do you think that's going to help you in the long run? I do. Yeah. I, I really do. And, and I don't. I'm not a big excuse guy, but um, I, I do think that now, you know, when you go to a place like Shinnecock, it's just dripping in history. I mean, when you consider that it's one of the five founding clubs of the USGA, they had the second U.S. Open there. They had female members there from day one. It's It opened in 1896. My God, I mean, if, yeah. if you can't talk about history in one of the great golf areas in the United States, in the Hamptons, then there's there's something wrong. And you're right. I mean, I, I think our best, least critically regarded best U.S. Open was the one at Oakmont. And and yeah, that you get the Dustin Johnson ruling issue. But if you enjoy TV and if you can cover stuff like that, you, you kind of I don't know. I don't I don't fight that stuff happening. It's like, let's cover it. Let's let's cover how odd and unique this is. And yeah. You know, I, I, I'm all for controversy as long as it's, it doesn't involve us. Sure. Yeah. No, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're just covering what, what you're just covering the situation. It's not like, you know, yes. Fox runs so, the rules. No. And, and, and I thought we were honest and we, I, I thought we, you know, we're, we're as uh, open as we could be. And I'm sitting next to a guy who's won a major and I don't know how many facts won as least as, as far as tour events, seven, eight tour events and, and has great credibility. I want to hear what they say about what the USGA is doing here with this supposed penalty stroke. Yeah. But but beyond that, now we're now we're back at Shinnecock. Then we go to Pebble Beach and then Wingfoot's in the offing and the you know, Brookline and uh LACC and I, I don't know. I, I think 
I, I do think we've we've had our fair share of hiccups and criticism, and now we're kind of getting back into typical U.S. Open venues, which which I think play really well on TV, and 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 hopefully we can uh, use what we've learned over the previous three years and and make this one great. You, you've spoken in the past about production meetings that you've been able to have in whether it's baseball or, or football and having, uh, you know, inviting football players in to kind of get their thoughts early on, um, you know, having managers in to talk about their baseball teams and, and what's going on with their players. Um, I, I know that you've walked practice rounds with players during the U.S. Open, kind of gotten their ideas, but as far as production meetings, have you... Have you guys gone to the point where you can actually get maybe caddies or agents or swing coaches in and kind of get some behind the scenes info that a lot of us don't have? Yeah, I think that's the only info that's that's really that valuable come that week. You know, if you can say, hey, I, I walked this course with Rory McElroy three days ago and here are his thoughts on the 10th and 11th holes, 10th and 11th holes, and, and this is what he told me, then I think there's real value. Um, and, and this, and that's the beauty of it. I've never thrown passes with Tom Brady, but I've covered him in the Super Bowl. I don't know, three times. I've never taken batting practice with Derek Jeter or been in the cage while he's, uh, taking it, but I've walked Oakmont with Jordan Spieth and I've walked Aaron Hills with Rory and I've, uh, you know, other guys that I'm friendly with. And then some guys that I just meet on the driving range. And then you talk to their coach or Butch is walking around or you talk to an agent. That to me is 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 where the information really gets interesting. And and the other thing is, with regard to the NFL, the league mandates those meetings. Some guys don't like it. Belichick doesn't like it. Uh, some guys like it. Tom Coughlin always loved it. Mike McCarthy, but the league makes them. In in the case of tour players, these guys are like their own little companies. Sure. And you you have to crack the code to get in there and and have these guys trust you with information. But you know as well as I do, the minute you get a guy to start talking about his swing and what he's trying to do, and it, sometimes it's hard to get him to shut up. Yeah. And and that's kind of what we found. You know, initially people were looking at us like, "Now wait, who are you guys?" But most of the time, they'll end up asking me about the Packers or the Cowboys or the Yankees or the Red Sox. Like Keegan Bradley just wants to talk about the Red Sox, and right. all I want to talk about is you know how he's swinging the club. Yeah. But somewhere in there you get some good information and uh and i think they're a little more receptive to us walking up and and they know who we are you know like henrik stenson the first time i walked up to to him was like why are you bothering me and and now i think he knows that i'm actually calling the u.s open maybe yeah. not i don't know well i mean it's but yeah that's a that's a great asset that you have you're you're walking in and you're not they probably look at you a little bit more of a universal uh sports mind instead of uh, just kind of a golf journalist trying to get some some you know information. They're they're more fans of yours than you're probably fans of them actually. Well, I'm not digging. I'm I'm not digging for anything controversial. Right. And I think because we're there for one week. Right. I mean, we're we're. I don't really know that we're going to say anything that's going to uh, crazily upset anybody. Now, if somebody acts, you know, like a moron, or somebody's throwing clubs, or you know, I guess Horschel in 2015 was really critical of the USGA. At some point, you got to go play golf. Yeah. And, you know, we just had that with the Women's Open. You know, you knew the ones that were complaining about the weather coming into the week. Not going to win. It's that old, it's that old Nicholas line. Yep, you know, exactly. I, I just eliminated 20 guys in the locker room. Well, you know, when, when Kevin Nas crying about the rough, and I really happen to like him a lot because I think he's honest. And so maybe I'm, I'm – uh, 
cutting my own point at its knees. But when when guys are complaining, though, it's like ugh, everybody's playing the same golf course. Just go play. And if you play great, maybe you'll have a chance to win. And uh, they know we're not there, you know, looking for for trouble. We're just there trying to make our broadcast better. The one another question I had for you is actually it's funny you mentioned the the women's open. I was watching the the last part of it, especially with uh, Jutani Garn when she kind of fell apart at the end, and then uh, they got into the playoff. You know, I I I kind of picked up that uh, that Paul Azinger and Julie Inkster were were kind of writing her off on that second playoff hole where she had put it in the rough yeah. left. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not the only one that picked up on that. So I, I'm curious what your your um, reaction to that was because I'm kind of listening to them both and thank God you guys threw it down to Faxon and he said, look, the lie over here is not that bad. Let's not write this thing off quite yet. And of course she turns around, makes par. Um, you know, she she clips um Yeah. Kyoju Kim. Kyoju Kim. So she uh you know she she ties then they go to sudden and she wins. But is there the danger of like where's that line of I want to be right as quickly as possible, but I don't want to be wrong. And, you know, it, that's pretty much how it played out that, that they were wrong when they were kind of writing her off. Well, it's funny, you know, the first year we were in Chambers Bay, Richard Sandemir of the New York times wrote a critical piece on the Monday or whatever, after, after that was over and attributed something I said, or attributed something Faxon said to me, a mistake he made. And in this case, when I threw it down to Faxon, he goes, hey, guys, I got to tell you. And I knew right where he was going because the other two, and I love them. I, I, I don't think I get along with anybody better than Paul. But they were kind of they were kind of going down the path that the lead was blown. And now she's done on the second playoff hole after the birdie right. on, on the first one. I, you know, I said, hey, let's not hand her the trophy yet. I mean, let, let's and, – and I would think that those guys who played more golf than I could, you know – they'll play more golf in their lifetime than, than, you know, you, me and 50 other people combined. The game's too hard to just hand somebody something. Anything can happen in golf. And we saw it at that event. And, and so, yeah, I, I was surprised that they were going that way, but, but I don't mind that. I, I think if somebody, because that's the way I would be watching it at home and, and it's okay to disagree with the person that you're on the air with. I, I think it's boring if everybody's, making the same argument and if you know in this case if if they say that and Faxon and i are on the other side i, I think that's that's at least entertaining and yeah. it kind of it kind of hangs out there that this thing's not over well two people think it's over and two people don't let's see what happens and you know she got up and down and uh yoju kim didn't get up and down and they kept playing and she eventually won it i, I think the best player that week won yeah. uh she just happened to have a terrible back nine and, and then, uh, you know, righted the ship and good for her. She ended up with the trophy. Yeah, no, it's, I, I think it's, it's a valid point. It's cause you know, there's people at home watching saying, Oh, she's done. She's done. So it's nice to see that even the experts and the people calling it feel the same way and aren't afraid to say it. Yeah. And, and maybe it takes somebody out on the golf course, like facts to go, you know, let's rem- it's, it's, easy. I don't care if you're doing baseball, football, golf, or badminton. When you're in the booth, everything looks easier. And and so there's no way Hiyoju Kim was on the other side of the fairway going, I got this. This is she's done. And she she made four. She she hit it over the back and then got up and down and uh and ended up going into the second sudden death hole and winning it. I mean that that was fun. That that to me 
that was worth the seven hours of straight coverage where I got to go to the bathroom one time uh, over seven hours. And, uh, you know, that, that made the whole event, you know, that much better. You didn't have to pee in a trash can like you did uh, in Milwaukee? Believe me, there were times where I was eyeing that trash can like uh, we're going to have to line this thing with something because uh, this this uninterrupted coverage, I get it. Rolex, that's great, but uh, we better have a Depends sponsor too because the, the host here is about to embarrass himself. I know you got a good agent, Joe. You can't sign that deal. I mean, if, if, come on, man. If you, you got the I don't know that I don't know that I, can, I my ego can allow me to. Uh, advertise for Depends, but if we keep doing uninterrupted coverage, I'm going to look into it at least. <laughs> I mean, it'd be a hell of a commercial. I mean, uh, it'd I would, be great. Oh, I mean, you could do it. You could do it live. Oh, you could do a live commercial. Yeah, no, that'd be that'd be, uh, that'd be a good one. Yeah, let me know when that thing airs. I want to see that thing. Done, yeah, done live. That, that'll be the last day of my career. Oh, okay. All right. Well, at least you have, at least you have a date picked out. Um, yeah. So of all the, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about the U.S. Opens. Um, you, you've done the AM. You've done uh, you've done the Mid-Am. Um, is there one USGA championship that you have been pleasantly surprised by since 2015 that you said, you know, I've, I've never been to this as a fan, but man, if I wasn't working right now, I'd go get a ticket and watch this. Yeah. I, you know what's weird? It, it's either the, the AM or, believe it or not, the four ball. Um, because that's like typical Saturday golf to me, like basically a Nassau that, that I play with my friends is it's basically match play. I mean, it, it is, but it isn't. Right. And it's head to head. If you shoot 85 or you shoot 75, uh, sometimes you, the, the guy who shot 85 can just bet better than the guy who shot 75. And you know, that person's getting all the money and, in the case of the of the amateur, I, I love match play. I think match play is a different game. I think there's there's more momentum involved. There's intimidation. There's slow playing. There's there's all these little mind games that even hacks like me can do, or 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 at least identifies when it's getting done to me that makes it fun. And then the four ball is exactly a Nassau. I mean, it's it's best ball of the two guys and, and, you know, the golf was so good. We, we, I haven't covered it the last year, but when I was doing it and we had great venues, it was like, man, I, I, I'd sit here and watch this all day. And, uh, and as it turned out, I sat there and watched it all day. Yeah. Two, uh, two of my buddies actually down here in South Florida were in the finals this year, Mark Dull and Chip Brook. They were actually on the podcast, uh, a couple months ago. And, yeah, they they lost to the to Cole Hammer and and Garrett Barber, just these these two young kids. And, and I know, and, and Cole looks like he's about oh twelve my, and mean, can just. I mean, we had him right in fifteen at Chambers, at Chambers yeah. Bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. Uh, he he took a picture with my daughter, who's the same age, I think, in the lobby of the hotel, and they looked like they were about to go to a grade school dance. Yeah, yeah. The uh, uh, Brooke just said that those kids were just uh, fantastic and and. Yeah, Chip definitely said that you're you're going to be seeing a lot of Cole Hammer and, and Garrett Barber in the future. Good. So yeah, they're Good. they're pretty strong. Um, so uh, you know, getting back to just kind of TV and and coverage, you know, in in the landscape now of of watching sports, it seems like uh, you know cutting the cord from cable and you know the the shifting in, in viewing habits. Um, you know, the the act of watching live sports is starting to change. I know ESPN's done a lot of this stuff. They did it with the national championship game. And I guess ESPN has who knows how many channels they have and apps and all sorts of stuff. But 
um, you know, they'll have different personalities watching games and, and talking about it. it. Just gives the viewer an alternative. I know your buddies uh, Levitard and Stu Gods did something. Uh, they did something last week for the NBA Finals game where their entire morning radio show was just, you know, having fun and talking about the game. Is that something you've ever thought of doing? Just like popping over to like an FS2, FS3, loosening up your tie and just. Yeah, I, I would love to do that. Okay. I just don't know that I could get away with it. I, I think, you know, you've you've read my book and and it's kind of the world you live in, especially I've, I've been the guy doing the World Series for the last 20 years. And when you do it and I get it, you you change the viewer's ear so much when they care more than at any other point of the season that it gets people like viciously mad at you. Yeah. Because when you're doing, you know, I used to do the Cardinals. Well, when you do a Cardinal broadcast for Cardinal television as paid for by the ownership of the St. Louis Cardinals, if one of the Cardinals hits a home run, you're jumping up and down. And if somebody hits a home run against them, you're basically through your voice, you know, downplaying it and almost crying. But when, when I show up in October, I have to not only get excited for one side, but now I have to get excited for the other. And people don't hear that all year long. And they go, well, I, this guy hates my team. This guy's rooting, actively rooting against my team. And, you know, so when you say, would you like to loosen your tie and just be you? Yeah, I would, but maybe after I retire and and I can just kind of say what I want to say. Um, I, I have to try to play it so far down the middle that frankly, it takes a lot of the fun out of it. And I love doing what I do, but the whole you're rooting against my team, it, it gets so old with me. And I've, I've been dealing with that so long that it's, oh, it just wears you out. And so that's kind of one of the other beauties of doing golf. It's, it, I'm, I don't know that anybody's going to say you're, you're rooting against Tiger Woods because right. you got excited for Phil Mickelson. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. So, you know, whether it's baseball or football, when one side's thrilled, the other side is dejected and, and you've got to be happy the whole and excited the whole time. It's just, I, I would love to do it, but I just don't think I could really honestly be myself. And, uh, I think I could have a hell of a lot of fun with it, but now is not the time. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I think it'd be interesting if we did it for golf. I was more uh, talking about uh, doing that where instead of just – Well, doing... I'd love to do it with the guys I do it with. If, if yeah. I were going to do it, I I don't think I could find anybody better to do it with than Azinger. Yeah. Because when you sit next to him or you play golf with him or you have lunch with him or you ride to the course with him, I, I defy you to show me somebody that's funnier than Paul Azinger. <laughs> and, and, you know, sometimes I just want to go – why can't we do this on the air? I mean, I get it that it's golf, but you know, there, there's gotta be a way to have a little bit more fun with this. I, I think sometimes golf takes itself so seriously that, you know, it just becomes devoid of, of not just fun, but, but almost kind of the, Oh my God, can you believe he just made that shot element? I mean, you've right. you got to be every, everybody's so buttoned up that, you, you lose some of the spontaneity and, and that's too bad. I, I, I'm not in a position to change that because I don't do enough of it. And, and I don't know that the hardcore fan is, is going to want to hear any of that, but, but I'm, I'm such an avid golfer and so in awe of what these guys can do that I think we need to kind of 
loosen up and, and let go a little bit and, and celebrate these guys for being as great as they are. Yeah, I, I would have loved to, to heard one of your calls off the cuff, completely tie unloosened when, uh, you know, the ruling thing was going down or even when DJ3 putted at Chambers Bay just to hear uh, just just the in, being incredulous like can you believe this shit i mean really? yeah i know it's it, well and, and of all the guys and with with regard to dj yeah and then both times I, if had the usga in my opinion and i only know a handful of these guys done that to uh, you can almost name anybody else not named dustin johnson they might have laid down in the fairway and started crying and dustin not only didn't think they were going to give him a penalty but played better right and and thank God for everyone involved that he did, uh, because that that would have been a nightmare. Yeah, he he was probably the best guy for that to happen to. There's no doubt because I, I don't think he legitimately believed that they were going to give him a penalty, which they did after the fact. But it didn't matter, and and that's to his credit because he played great. But you know that that was if I could have just read my text messages, I was getting text messages from coaches in the NFL who I didn't even know had my number going, this is like, you know, this is like saying a referee coming to me after a, an extra point and saying, we'll let you know at the end of the game, whether that, if, whether that extra point was good or not, Yeah, because you didn't know what the score was. Yeah. I've never done an event where you go, Hey, Dustin Johnson leads now by one, or maybe he doesn't, or maybe he leads by two, or we really don't know until they figure this out after the fact. And, like I said, thank God for all parties involved uh, that that they that he played as well as he did because that could have been a nightmare. Sure. No. No. I. I. When I saw it, I just was just thinking to myself, yeah, that's the the best case scenario, but that could have been a whole hell of a lot worse for, gosh, for for everyone. Um. So, um, you know, you're you're a baseball guy with all these World Series games to your credit. Uh, you've been incredibly gracious to spend your time. Uh, talking to me about this and with an admittedly borderline professional example of sports journalism. But uh, speaking of questionable qualifications, so what are your thoughts on welcoming a, uh, an alcoholic minor league baseball play-by-play man into the booth for the U S open? You want Brock Meyer in there? I mean, if you had one, I mean, if, since you know, one off the top of your head, uh, you know, I mean, what are your, yeah. what, what are your thoughts of you and Jim Brock Meyer? If you know, if Azinger has to, to, you know, take a leak uh and the trash can's empty azinger would love brock meyer uh brock meyer's right up azinger's alley i that has been one of the best characters to come along uh in my adulthood just <laughs> seeing what he does with that and it was it was it's for those who don't have no idea what the hell we're talking about hank azaria did a hank azaria did a character on a funnier die piece uh, that was like a five minute long thing. And I was, I was one of the people trying to lend legitimacy to this guy who had a meltdown on the air and caught his wife cheating on him and then just started cursing and getting darker and darker. And then they developed it into this series that's on, uh, that's on television. And I've had the chance to act in it and be a part of it. And it's fantastic. It's on IFC and, yep. you know, it's dark. Uh, it's, it's, pretty dirty but it's it's also got some heart to it so they really developed a character that they gave him a lot of different sides and really brought him to life and uh you know now now it's kind of taken on a life of its own they're in the midst of season two and uh there is going to be a season three so and four good for hank 
Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, well, yeah. there you go. Three and four. Um, well, you know more than I do. Well, you know, I do a little research here, Joe Buck. Um, so, <laughs> so with, with all of the uh, now, I know you you've run into actors and you you've you you have some friends in Hollywood. Is this something you want to do down the line, or is this just kind of a one off where you kind of get to play? Uh, you just kind of get to play yourself. Yeah, I'd, I if I'm gonna the next one I do if I'm. Uh, lucky enough to do one i want to i want to play anybody but me I, because <laughs> good luck <laughs> in this show i i have to play like the the jerk version of me that people you know who don't know me probably think i am right and it's it's frustrating on some on some level it's funnier than hell on another level so i yeah no i i'm i'm smart enough to realize where uh where i belong and uh you know, I'm I'm content. I'm I'm happy doing what I'm doing, and don't really want to do anything else. Do you have any sort of a story you can share from being on set with Azaria that uh, just just? Anything? Well, I you know they they talk about Nicholson in uh, a few good men in that courtroom scene, and yeah. how many times he had to deliver that speech. You want me on that wall? That whole thing, right? Watching Azaria do this speech he gave that had so much heart in one of the scenes that I'm in where he had to keep giving this speech over and over again. I just was blown away. I, I mean, he's obviously a really gifted, funny guy and does all these different voices and what have you. But I mean, he's a really good actor. And, and to see him do that, you know, it was funny because one of the outtakes they actually put in there because Kirkjian, oh, yeah. who knows nothing about music, <laughs> was supposed to it was about yentl and he said lentil and uh they kept it in there just because we all natural naturally reacted like oh my god tim come on and it was great so they were they were willing you know a lot of those times those writers don't want anybody messing with any of their words and, and these guys are not precious like that it was great yeah no when i saw kirkshin in there i'm like what the hell is timmy doing in there but hey, i know, I know. It worked out good um well i i we have a we have a segment here at the back of the range called the quick bucket. These are just real quick questions, and I, I think you're you're uh, keenly uh, um, qualified for a couple of these. So, um, okay, Jack Nicholas won the Masters in 1986. Uh, uh-huh. Compare that victory to Tiger Woods winning a winning another major, whether it's at Augusta or winning Ooh. one of your U.S. Opens. Which would be the more uh, the more poignant, the more substantial victory? Well, I'm I I'm not trying to dodge the question because it's a really great question. I've never really thought of it in those terms, but I, I think it was stunning to see Jack do that, and I'm old enough to remember it, and obviously I've seen the the replay a thousand times. But I think considering all that Tiger's been through and public stuff, private stuff, the dominance that he had in the sport. I mean, it's now been ten years since he won a major. Yeah, for him to come back. Uh, put it together for four days and win a U.S. Open with the way they try to set those golf courses up. I, I think that would be. Uh, I think that that might even trump. Uh, can we use that word anymore? That I mean, might even we, trump. Yeah, uh, use that Jack in '86. I, I I kind of I kind of think my answer is Tiger. Okay. No, we've 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 kind of been split down the middle, believe it or not. So uh, everyone makes great uh, great cases for both answers. Um, well, I mean, you know, one took place at Augusta. I mean, there's right. only, there's only one Augusta, yeah. and and there's only one Jack at Augusta. So I, I get that, but I, I just think in this day and age of social media, of twenty four seven, 
news coverage. I, I just think this guy's heard so much noise and brought on so much noise with, with stuff that he's done that if he were to able, able to quiet all that in his head and actually execute for four straight days with a fused back and knee surgeries and everything else, man, I, I just don't know how you could beat that. Yeah. Um, uh, you get to script a back nine on Sunday next week. It is a Joe Buck feature presentation. No rules. Do what you want. Have you thought of anything you'd like to see next week? Well, I mean, when you consider where we'll be and how much love there is in New York for Phil and what he needs, and he's, what, 48 years old. Yep. He was there in 04. He was there in 95 as a kid. Um, you know, to complete the career grand slam, you know, may only be trumped in in my mind by what we just talked about, and that's Tiger Woods winning it. But I, you know, I where's Jordan Speed? What's happened to his putting? Yeah. And you know, where where is his game? And you know, Justin Thomas is, I don't know, kind of a quiet number one. And and Rom made a lot of noise earlier in the year. And so I, I somebody's going to step forward here. This might be Ricky Fowler's year. Somebody asked me who do I like. And, you know, there, there's the obvious, the, the obvious picks. But for a guy that hasn't won it with the setup that they're going to have that requires the putting that that is going to be required in the short game, um, I don't know. Fowler's a good pick for me. So I, I, I really think having Tiger and Phil in the final pairing coming down the stretch made the best man win. Uh, I'll go with that in my uh, – in my – Joe Buck makes the 2018 U.S. Open rules. Yeah. Uh, they they have to play in the final pairing and be in a position to win. Yeah, no, that that's I think that's pretty much a good good call. Before we get you, before we get you out of here, tell me about the Joe Buck Charity Golf Classic. Well, it's something I took over from Hale Irwin 18 years ago now, and it's for children's hospital in St. Louis. And I, I was there as a young father when my oldest daughter uh, was three and she was being tested for cystic fibrosis. And I remember being inside those walls, seeing a lot of different factions, obviously seeing the other kids, but seeing their parents, seeing the worry on the faces of the parents, seeing the doctors, seeing the caregivers. It was just, it was just, a place I, I just thought, and I was, I don't know, in my mid to late twenties, I guess late twenties. And I said, if, if I'm ever in a position where I'm going to help make a difference, it's going to be here. And about at that time, Hale decided he had had enough and they came to me and I jumped on it. We have, uh, we've kind of taken all of the expenses away and it's, it's a half a million dollar day for their imaging center. And, Man, I, I just I can't think of anything more important that I do other than being a, a parent to to my four kids. Yeah, and the uh, your show on audience, undeniable. Uh, is that something you want to keep doing? I will break it on this show right now. That there's a season airing right now. I think it's it's one of our best, if not maybe our best, with the uh, with the guests that we have. But it's my last one. I, I ended up doing. 50 episodes, five seasons. Um, and, and it was just enough, you know, I, sure. I felt like we, we interviewed everybody that, that I wanted to interview, obviously with exceptions, I would have loved to have tiger on and Michael Jordan, but 
I, I just feel like it's it's time to let somebody else do it. And uh, and so I, I just walked away. This is it, last season. And then I think Dan Patrick is going to do it going forward. So good for him and, and good for audience because he'll do a hell of a job. Yeah. Well, Joe, uh, I really can't thank you enough. I know you're out uh, on the West Coast and you're heading back east uh, to handle the U.S. Open, but this is definitely going to be the the highlight of the, of this young podcast uh, moving forward and uh, can't wait to release this uh, the day before the U.S. Open. I uh, really can't thank you enough for your time. Thanks so much to uh, Pete Macheska, your producer, who kind of put us together. And uh, Well, I owe him money. I owe him money. I was wondering that. how the hell this happened. I mean, This was a way for me to kind of knock that down. He's, he's a big horse guy, as you know. And, uh, you know, this I, I owed him ten grand, and now I only owe him $9,528. Wow, you really... Uh, that's uh, that's that's, so that's the value we put on this podcast. I I think it's been a hell of a lot better than that. So my pleasure. Happy to do it, and uh, good luck with everything. And there you have it. Another great episode here at the back of the range. Thank you so much to Joe Buck for taking the time to talk to us. I hope everyone's enjoying the U.S. Open this week. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be back next week with another episode here at the back of the range. <laughs>